Beloved, let us pray. Come, Holy Ghost, our souls inspire. Enlighten us with your celestial fire. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. And if you are not with us, well then, nothing else matters. So be with us today. This we pray in the name of our rock and our redeemer, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This past Tuesday, your church leaders gathered for our monthly session meeting. For those of you who aren't familiar with the very exciting topic of Presbyterian polity, every year we as a congregation elect elders and deacons to serve and lead the church for such a time as this. Our elders are charged with steering and guiding the mission of the church, while our deacons are charged with caring for and nurturing the people of this church. Both are vital to the community of faith. Now, our meeting this past week was particularly unique because there was nothing for us to vote on, nothing for the body to consider and debate and decide. It was awesome. <laughs> so what did we do instead? Well, we ate pizza and ice cream and contemplated the current state of the church in this country in the Bay Area, and in Berkeley. We started our conversation discussing a New York Times op-ed entitled, Christianity's Got a Branding Problem. In the article, journalist Jessica Gross shares responses from readers who have left or are leaving their faith traditions, mostly leaving from Christianity to something else. Now, there used to be a time where we could at least start a conversation by saying, I'm a Christian, but I'm not, and fill in the blank with whatever aspect of Christianity you find particularly deplorable. We could acknowledge this tension, but still stay engaged and involved in the church. But now what we are seeing is people who love Jesus just throwing up their hands and leaving Christianity altogether. As one of the elders we are going to ordain and install today remarked, Christianity's problem isn't just branding. It isn't just a matter of packaging. Our problem goes much deeper than that. He's not wrong. The church is dealing with an issue that is much more than just aesthetics. It's existential, but it's not new. For as long as the church has been around, it kind of makes sense that it goes through these, its fair share of identity crises, a phenomenon that Phyllis Tickle talks about in her book, The Great Emergence. In it, she writes, about every 500 years, the church feels compelled to hold a giant rummage sale where the empowered structures of institutionalized Christianity, whatever they may be at the time, become an intolerable covering that must be shattered in order that renewal and new growth may occur. 500 years ago, the upheaval was the Reformation. 500 years before that, the Great Schism. 500 years before that, the fall of the Roman Empire. And 500 years before that, the birth of Jesus Christ, of Christianity, of the church. 
And this concept of great emergences doesn't just pertain to religion, but to every aspect of our existence as humans together. For example, the sheer volume of information we are now having to absorb on a daily basis, that is a great emergence. Our complete dependence on devices and machines, a great emergence. The deterioration of our environment at its current rate, that is a great emergence. And what makes an emergent great is that it reaches a pressure point that causes great pain and anxiety for those it impacts, but it ends up being what is necessary to birth change and reorientation and maybe even growth. But just like with an actual rummage sale, the selling part isn't the hardest part, right? It's the rummaging part. You know, sorting through all that has been accumulated over the course of time, all that we have kept out of nostalgia or laziness or fear, and then determining what we need to keep and what we need to let go. It's an overwhelming process to be sure, but one that is best started by asking the simplest of questions. So before asking questions like, how did we get here, we must go even farther back and ask ourselves, where did we come from? How did it all start? Today we are going to do just that and go back in time before words like church or Christian even existed. The time when all we were were followers of Jesus. So listen now to God's word for you today as it comes from the gospel according to Luke chapter 10, the sending of the 70. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in your peace, your peace will rest upon that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this. The kingdom of God has come near. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Our passage for today starts with these two mysterious words, after this. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others. After what? I mean, if we're just talking about the previous chapter, a lot happens in Luke 9. Does he mean after the sending of the 12? After the feeding of the 5,000? After Peter's confession of faith? 
Is it after Jesus foreshadows his death and resurrection or after he is transfigured on a mountain? Is it after he heals a boy with a demon or after he is rejected by a Samaritan village? After what does Jesus feel the need to send a group of 70 to go out before him? Now, for those of you who weren't here, last Sunday we talked about how Jesus sent his 12 disciples ahead of him after giving them his power and authority to preach and perform miracles. He gave them a very strict packing list. Pack nothing. Take nothing. Why? Well, first, because Jesus would provide everything they might need for their journey. And second, because they were destined to be a people on their feet and on the move, ready to go wherever Jesus might call them to go. And so after this, Jesus extends his commission beyond this tight group of 12 to a much larger group of 70, a number significant throughout the Old and New Testaments that show that since day one, God's love extended to all of humanity, to every nation, not just the people of Israel or the people of the church. Now, it's not entirely clear where these 70 come from. Like the disciples, their qualifications are not relevant to their selection. Like the disciples, Jesus gives them strict packing instructions, but unlike the disciples, they are also given detailed travel instructions. Move in pairs. No chit-chat on the road. Use this greeting when you enter into a person's house. Stay in that house for a while. Eat whatever is given to you, but make sure that you get fed. Don't shop around for better digs or better eats. Cure the sick. And most importantly, tell whoever, whenever, wherever that the kingdom of God is near. Now, as usual, what I find interesting about this passage is what Jesus doesn't say. As a lifelong Christian who was well-versed in the culture of the church, I never cease to be amazed at how much has been added to Scripture over time, how much has been attributed to Jesus over the course of history. You see, just like Jesus does not tell his disciples to pack their Sunday best or their favorite commentaries, Jesus doesn't tell the 70 to go and build sanctuaries for worship or schools for teaching or even community centers for service. He doesn't command them to examine new followers or to assess who might be worthy of salvation. And he definitely doesn't tell them to identify individuals who can swing political agendas to the supposed will of God. Even if we zoom out and look at all the red letter parts of the Bible, Jesus doesn't actually tell his disciples or any of the 70 to do any of that. Instead, his instructions are uncomfortably, frustratingly, are you sure that's what you want to go with, Jesus? Simple. Extend peace. Stay present. Be gracious. Bring healing. Do not obsess over those who disagree with you. And most importantly, whether you are in a place that receives you or rejects you, 
proclaim the good news of the gospel, that the kingdom of God is near. That's it. That's the assignment. That's who we were and what we did before we became the church. Now, for those of you who don't have your news alerts set to churchy stuff, this past week was a busy one in the religious news cycle with the following headlines dominating the conversation. Religion is less important in the lives of Americans. Christian nationalism is taking hold in the U.S. American churches in decline. And yes, Christianity's got a branding problem. Now this flurry of activity was actually all in response to a report that was released just this past Tuesday entitled, Religion and Congregations in a Time of Social and Political Upheaval. After surveying nearly 7,000 adults across 50 states, researchers from the Public Religion Research Institute found that America is in the midst of a great religious migration. In 2022, just this last year, nearly one in four Americans said that they are now practicing a different religion than before, which is a 50% increase from the year before. The fastest growing religion in America is the religiously unaffiliated. The fastest shrinking religion is Christianity. But perhaps the most alarming finding in this report is the reasons why people are leaving Christianity and the church. And the most common answer is other Christians and the church. Not God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit, not the Bible or outdated traditions. No, unfortunately, it's us. Hi, we're the problem. It's us. Now, while this is rather alarming to read in the news, let's be honest, it isn't really news to any of us here. If you have ever stepped away from the church for a time or even thought about it, chances are it was because of something that happened in the church. And so in the face of these disappointing trends and harsh truths, the institutional church has typically responded one of two ways, attack or retreat. Now, on the attack side, the church has become relentless and rigid. Get in line or get out. Accept no compromise or rejection. Make America Christian again. And on the retreat side, the church has become apologetic and timid. You do you, and I'll just stay over here. You eat your food, and I'll eat mine to each their own. It's no wonder Christianity is in decline. But as usual, Jesus offers us a different way of being, a different way of doing things. In our passage for today, written nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus calls it, all of it. Everything the church and Christians are dealing with right now, Jesus named it way back when. Verse 3, see, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Verse 10, whenever you enter a town and they don't welcome you, wipe the dust of that town off in protest against them. In other words, this whole following Jesus thing is going to be hard. Rejection and hostility are all but guaranteed. 
Don't expect ease or fanfare, but don't give up either. Why? Because verse 2, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. In other words, our urgent and pressing mission, if we choose to accept it, is not to save the church, but to save the world. Yes, church approval rates might be going down, but you know what isn't? The suicide rate amongst youth, the death rate by gun violence, the rate of poverty and homelessness and joblessness in our local community, the rate of decay on the planet that we call home. The world may not always like the church, but that doesn't mean it doesn't need the church. How do I know that? Because yes, church attendance rates might be going down, but do you know what's not? The number of people we are serving through street meal, mobile food pantry, sacred rest, and our deacon's fund. The number of children in our Sunday school every single week. The number of university students showing up to focus on Wednesday nights. The number of friends our middle and high schoolers are inviting to youth group. The number of people worshiping here with us on a Sunday, particularly those who are joining us online. When I look at these numbers and figures, I do not see the success of the church, as tempting as that might be. What I do see is how urgent the need is for the gospel in this country, in this city, in this church. Yes, I do think that Christianity has a branding problem, and the problem is this. We keep talking about Christianity in the church when we should be talking about Jesus. And not the Jesus of the radical right or Jesus of the radical left, but the Jesus of the radical good news uh, that we read about in Scripture, that we read about in Luke 10. The one who gives away power instead of keeping it. The one who sacrifices his life instead of saving it. The one who sat through long, meandering meals with powerful people and the meek, the outcast and the sinner. The one who sent the 12 and the 70. The one whose business plan is absolute garbage. The one whose marketing strategy is even worse. The one who no church in their right mind would hire to be on their staff. But the only one whose name, whose message, whose agenda really matters. And so to anyone who's asking or checking, yeah, you got me. I am a Christian, but I would rather talk to you about Jesus instead. And the good news for us is I think the world would rather hear about Jesus instead. Okay, so I know I just said a lot. Clock, clocking in probably close to what? Around 20 minutes, which means it was like five minutes too long for you right there and five minutes too short for some of you right there. Can I just say how much I love this church? So I know I just preached an entire sermon where I said it's really not about the church and even as someone who works in and works in and for the church. I get paid my benefits from the church. I really believe that entirely. It's not about the church. In fact, it's because I believe that that I can genuinely say that I have never been more hopeful about the future of the church and this church in particular. After the rummage sale, after the decline of Christianity, after a global pandemic, after so much pain and change and after so much death, only one thing remains, resurrection. I am hopeful because in the midst of so much upheaval, I think the church is getting much clearer about what the body of Christ is and what the body of Christ is not. This building is not the body of Christ. 
This address and the name right out there is not the body of Christ. This denomination, our history and traditions, our polity and our confessions are not the body of Christ. Our programs and our classes, our outreach and our worship, our org chart and our heritage, all of those things, they're not the body of Christ. They're all important and valuable, but they are not the body of Christ. No, these bodies, your bodies are the body of Christ. Bodies broken and bleeding, with achy feet and hurting hearts, with loud mouths and twitching ears. Bodies gathered, bodies called, bodies sent. That is why I'm hopeful. That is why I believe when the church functions as the body of Christ, it will actually live to see another day. For as long as the harvest is plentiful and the gospel is good, there is still work to be done. Jesus called that part too. He said he called all of it. And so as our newest officers make their way up here, I want to close with the final verses of our passage today. The return of the 70. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen.